Welcome to Analog Jones in the Temple of Film. I'm Steve. Um, Matt, what you uh, what you doing over there? Just doing a little doodle. Oh, you doodling, huh? What are you what are you doodling? Can I see? No, this is this is just for me. Matt, what? Matt, are you? Is that a woman? No. Are you? Are you actually trying to do a cool world? No. Stop. I, I'm not that lonely. Stop trying to take over the world. What do you? You can't bring it all down with doodles. I'm not trying to take over the world, but she might be. Time to fire up the VCR. This one's my favorite. Reviewing Cool World 1992, starring Brad Pitt as Detective Frank Harris, Kim Basinger as Holly Wood, and Gabriel Burns as Jack Deeves. This was PG 13 at 102 minutes, and it was directed by the bad boy himself of animation, Ralph Bakshi. So, when we first pick up the tape, we get this great illustrated cover with a human Brad Pitt and the animated Kim Basinger. Uh, as Hollywood as she could, if she could, and it's got a cool little look at all the creatures and tunes and doodles that come to life in the movie at the bottom, and we get this cool doorway that they're in. Everything's cool. Cool world. I'm going to say cool a lot, <laughs> whether I want to or not, during this podcast, but it was. It's a cool movie. So we've got this framing around them of a doorway with a little monster on top, too. Very interesting showcase of all the different animation styles and creatures that we get a little showcase of in the movie. We flip the box over, we get the description of the film. So if you haven't seen the film, this is what it's about. Hit us with the plot. Alright, you ready for it? When ex-con cartoonist Jack Deebs was behind bars, he found escape by creating Cool World, a cartoon series featuring a voluptuous vixen named Holly Wood. But the Toonsmith becomes a prisoner of his own fantasies when Holly pulls Jack into Cool World with a scheme to seduce him and bring herself to life. A hard-boiled detective, Brad Pitt, the only human in Cool World, cautions Jack with the new law. Noids, humans, in parentheses, for those who haven't seen the film, don't have sex with doodles. Well, I'm actually surprised they just put that like right on the back like that. Interesting. Well, that's what makes this movie so cool. <laughs> the flesh proves weaker than ink, however, as Holly takes human form, Kim Basinger, in Las Vegas, starting a trans-universal chase that threatens the destruction of both worlds. With a splashy mix of animation and live-action sequences, Cool World delivers the hottest action around. Well, wow, after that. After I, that, I think I want to watch not? it again. How could you not? This one, uh... Uh, a couple of the other tapes we watched have little blurbs or, you know, one-line quotes or little things from reviews. This has none. So no little Peter Travers quote or anything on the front. Nobody's saying, don't miss it. Nobody's saying, this year's Roger Rabbit. Nothing like that on here. Um, it's review-free. Well, if you uh, look up any of the reviews from critics or, or just anyone on IMDb, this movie did not receive any positive reviews that I know of. You could barely find any. (laughs) 
Yeah, so I guess the box art designers didn't try to find anything like that. They just sort of let that one go. Uh, so you flip, o flip over from or to the back, and you see three images, one of Gabriel Byrne reaching for the animated Hollywood. You've got Brad Pitt reaching for Gabriel Byrne, and then just a solo of Kim Basinger uh, in her kind of hot attire from the end of the movie. Uh, yeah, they kind of, right away, I noticed, they let you know that Kim Basinger eventually will become a human in this. They yeah. just blow it right out of the water. So they, they eliminate that mystery. But I don't know if any of us would really care in 1992 while walking down the rental, you know, looking for something to rent. It, yeah, Kim Basinger's in it. Oh, and she's actually a human in a cartoon. Whatever. Yeah, and they, they sell it also on the sides, on the spine here. One side is the animated Hollywood, and then the other side is the live-action Kim Basinger. Oh, that's actually, yeah, that's clever. I like that. And I, I also, one of the, just as a nerdy collector, uh, I like the Paramount White frame that's around the all their boxes. So you've got, like, a nice, clean white edge, and then the, the fun pink Cool World logo right in the center makes it really pop does That's paramount do that with all their films i think in the late 80s early 90s they did because a lot of the friday the 13th are like this some of their other comedies that came out like tommy boy were like this i, I just really like it It makes the title pop and another really convenient thing about the paramount releases from this time they have all your information on the top they've got uh, 1992 color 101 minutes it's 102 guys we just watched it Try, trying to scam us out of a minute. Uh, <laughs> PG-13, stereo, closed caption. All your information you need right on the top. So, uh, yeah, so we'll, it's a good thing they told us it was in color. <laughs> Just in case we were wondering. We're like, animation and live action, that's fine. But if you start bringing black and white into this, we're out. <laughs> what would you say, out of all the covers, what kind of grade would you give this out of 1 to 10? Ooh, you said one to ten. I almost said B. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so we're, you think this well, is? A, yeah. I actually think this is a really good cover too. Uh, six or seven. Yeah, this makes seven. the movie look really good. You know, it's showcasing its stars, so that that makes it a little less interesting. I would have loved to have seen just more of the Cool World on there, so that's why I'm giving it a B and not an A, but a B because it's it's still still attractive to look at. I agree. All right, Matt, let's take that thing right out of its sleeve. So you take it out, and this is a fun little thing for just the, wherever I bought this from, wherever it originally came from, this is not one of, like, my original copies or anything like that, but wherever I picked this up from has to have picked it up from a Blockbuster video because it has the Be a Friend, Rewind, When You Reach the End little sticker on the uh, actual tape itself, and I cannot take this off. I could never take this off. It even has the warning on the side, if this label is removed, this video must be purchased. That's Maybe kind I of just amazing. have like, this like fear. Maybe I just won't take it off because I'm like afraid that like Blockbuster's going to come after me still. <laughs> wow, what a difference. I remember all that. Yeah, with that kind of nostalgia, I can't take it off. Yeah, this is great. Uh, this this uh, begs a question. What's your thoughts on stickers on the when you buy a tape? Take them off, leave them on. Uh, if they are old and from the era, I will keep the sticker on there. If it is clearly new and just put on by that store that was selling them today, it's gone. I'm exactly the same way. So we can't argue about that. I literally will keep, yeah, I'm going to keep this Blockbuster sticker on there because I think it's great. There's also a Blockbuster sticker on the back with the price tag of 19.88, And I'm like, woo, somebody paid 20 bucks for this bad boy. Used. 
I think it's funny that you had the rewind, you know, please be kind rewind sticker on there because when you let me borrow it and I first put it in, it was at the end of the tape. <laughs> of course it was. I had to actually rewind it. <laughs> uh, and that's how you know that it didn't come from me because maybe that ingrained fear of Blockbuster also. I probably would have rewound it before I gave it to you if I knew that. <laughs> Here are some exciting coming attractions from Paramount. We're going to look into the Paramount coming attractions here, and I love the Paramounts. Coming soon to home video. It's so good. I remember seeing that so much as a kid before movies. This ties back to what we were talking about with Creepazoids. I rent a lot of the Full Moon movies, and those were Paramount. So just that little coming soon to home video with that that iconic blue tiles moving just brought me so much excitement as a child. So the nostalgia just really hits me when that uh, when that starts. So this is the movies that came up. We had Bebe's Kids. Yes. Which, yeah, that was a lot of nostalgia right there. And another PG-13 uh, animated thing, too. Seemed like this was the year for it. Yeah, well, Paramount apparently was doing whatever they could to battle The Simpsons. <laughs> yeah, I think so. It sort of had this look of like a sitcom. Do you remember the Bebe's Kids tagline? I do not. <laughs> oh, I don't know what the comedian was who was doing all the live shots in the trailer for this, mm. but his little tagline was, we don't die, we multiply. <laughs> I have no idea what that means. I think it's just because there's so many of the kids. I guess. I don't, mm. I don't know. I see you got away from. Can't wait to eat. It started in the mind of an offbeat comedian. We baby kid. We don't die, we. I haven't seen that movie since the 90s. I loved it as a kid. It made me want to go back and revisit it, seeing the trailer. Uh, I remember Tone Loke's voice as one of the babies. Like, of course, uh, just the animation style is very 90s theatrical style animation. It, it took me back, and uh, I want to watch it. Oh, well, they go to Fun World. What a creative name for a theme park. You know, could, we weren't going to shell out the cash for uh, Disney World or Universal or Six Flags. They were just like, Fun World, good enough, done. Now, uh, I don't remember the live-action stuff in the movie. Was that in, ever in the movie, or is that just for the trailer, you think? Honestly, I haven't seen this movie probably since the mid-'90s. Yeah, same. So I don't remember. I just, I don't think, I don't think the live action stuff was there. So that was kind of cool to see in the trailer, to see the actual comedian doing his bits where he's talking about Bebe's kids and then seeing portions of the movie. If any of the listeners out there have Bebe's kids, we'll take it. Yeah, we'll watch it. We'll keep <laughs> it. We'll take care of it for you. All right, and then we moved on to, oh, another Brad Pitt movie. We had Johnny Swade. See, I like, their, I like Paramount's thinking here because they're like, okay, adult-oriented animation, then another Brad Pitt movie. They're keeping it tied in. They want to capitalize on Brad Pitt's rising star at the time. They even mention it that this is the star from Cool World, The River Runs Through. Mm-hmm. Is that the other movie he was in at the time? Thelma Louise, one of those. Thelma Louise. You know what? I don't know if that one was out already. I can't remember. Yeah, they, they mention another drama yeah. that he's in but so he was just starting out at that point 
Well, the best part was the Playboy magazine quote in the middle of the trailer, or at the very end of the trailer, where they said, Brad Pitt is a film legend in the making. And they were right. Can't argue with that. Playboy, you guys got it right, because 25 years later, dude's still around and still an A-lister. So that ended it with our movie previews of what's coming soon. And then right after we had Johnny Swade, we got an ad that we do not see anymore. I mean, we definitely can't see it for the Super Nintendo, but we got an ad for a video game. Yeah, I miss when movies used to do this as well. Uh, it didn't even have to be something tied into the movie, but I loved seeing like NES and uh, Sega Genesis, the systems at the time, having little ads right before the movie for whatever game they had coming out. Now, this was a movie tie-in, so of course it was on there, but just video game commercials in general before the movie was it's just such a fun concept and i wish we i wish we still saw it today and when, you know the tie-ins like this i wish we still saw it today too because who in a million years would think there would ever be a cool world tie-in video game i mean i actually looked it up there was a game boy game of this uh regular nintendo which this must have been at the very end of the nes mm-hmm. and then we had a super nintendo uh and i watched a little bit of a gameplay of the super nintendo you can tell it's got really bad controls, but I got to tell you, when you actually, I was watching the gameplay, it represents the world pretty nicely. Nice. Yeah, I'd like to snag a copy of that someday and give it a give it a whirl. And then our last one was coming into we, that, we did have, that was our last preview. It was the last preview, but they did tell us stay tuned after the feature for a special look at something, and we'll get to that when we. After we talk about the feature, there's a an awesome little bumper after the uh, movie. And now we're pleased to bring you our feature presentation. During his ten years in prison, Jack Deeb's created his own world. It made him very successful. Jack Thieves, the creator of Cool World, right? Can't believe this. Now he thinks he's going home to the real world. But he's wrong. Real wrong. Welcome to my world. You're not in Kansas anymore. So this movie starts out with some of the lamest credits and laziest credits I think I've seen in a while. Yeah, I even mentioned when we were watching it this time now, right before we started recording, I said you'd think when you have an animator, a legendary animator, making his live-action feature debut, you'd get him to do like a cool animated credit opening sequence. But nope, probably because of all the -the behind-the-scenes drama, we just get a very neutral plane with a kick-ass song playing over it. I'll give it that, but uh, plain blue titles... Of just everybody involved in the movie. But it was just the fly-in type titles. Yeah. Very, very interesting that they didn't take us through a journey on the cool world or something along those lines. Or just having really stylized letters or anything like that. But it's just a normal font. Blue letters flying at the camera. And that's it. And I like in big letters at one point it says, Produced by Frank Mancuso Jr. Which, there's some good stuff between him and Bakshi. Yeah, Mr. Friday the 13th, Frank Rancusa Jr. I'm curious to hear what you've read about it, and uh, I'll, I'll uh, let you know what I know about it, but uh, I'm sure you know more, being such a fan of Mr. Bakshi's work. So the movie starts out with, we have a plane land, 
uh, some soldiers coming back from the war, which was World War II. Brad Pitt, we get his first shot, and he's our lead character, Frank Harris. Uh, he meets his mom. They go home. You know, the traditional thing, mom's cooking. And Brad Pitt wants to show his mom this really cool secret he has. And he shows her a bike for himself. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a badass, bright red motorcycle. And, and part of the surprise, don't forget, is also this fly-ass suit that he spends the rest of the movie in as well. Oh, yeah, that is a three-piece, that old-timey 1920s yeah. kind of look. Big boxy shoulders, yeah. But he looks fly. He looks good. They take a ride on the motorcycle, and they're cruising around having a little fun. Well, he's mostly having fun. I think this is what always, I, I question, I go, well, it looked like he was about to give her a gift, and he's like, oh, it's a motorcycle. I know you love motorcycles, Ma. <laughs> It's like, I bought this gift for myself, but I want to let you in on my world, and I want to show you that they're fun, too. And you know what? The, it looks like the mom is starting to have some fun until they get hit by a fucking car. Yeah, and that jackass driving the car, it's all his fault. <laughs> it's, I'm like, you got to go to jail for that or something. So, uh... He ends up getting a little uh, post-traumatic stress. He thinks he's back in the war after the wreck. His, you know, he's going through. He's like, oh, we, got, we need a med here. We need a med for my dead mom. And he's going all in. Brad Pitt's giving his 110% in this moment. And it just, at this point, when he's having war flashbacks and his mom is dead, and it's, you know, the, the sound effects of the bombs are going off in the background, this is how they have chosen to start a comedy. Basically, that's a good point. This is the opening scene for a movie that is billed as a comedy. Pretty dark. Uh, this is this is probably why I love this movie so much because what? Yeah, it's definitely not for kids. So then we get introduced to our first tune or doodle. They call them doodles in this movie, right? Yeah, doodles. So we get our little bald scientist. I have no idea what his name is. Uh, Whiskers. Whiskers, yep. Is Whiskers, that really his yep. name? That's, no they way. Call him Whiskers, yeah. <laughs> so Whiskers zaps Brad Pitt in. Brad Pitt just accepts it. Oh, I'm in an animated world. Right on. Yeah, that's it. He he is shaking and freaking out as like the doctors are trying or the ambulance drivers are trying to calm him down and let him know his mom is dead and he's not still in the war. So again, horrifying. And then this little cartoon zaps him into cartoon land. Like, hey, <laughs> cool world. <laughs> Don't worry, Frank. I'm gonna help you. And then flash to 1990 fucking two, where the camera flies across uh, the desert of Las Vegas and into the heart of prison <laughs> in Las Vegas, all while pumping some very 1992 MTV techno music in the background yeah that was a weird introduction to gabriel burns character jack deebs we're just he's in prison we have no idea why he likes to draw then he has a dream and boom we get to see the first appearance of hollywood kim basinger's character where she's just basically nude the entire film and mostly dancing yes she does a lot of dancing in this movie we were trying to figure out if it was rotoscope dancing or just like this specific style of animation, because she doesn't match any of the other doodles. She almost looks real, and or or I don't want to say real, but a 
very 90s modern style of animation where the tunes seem to be a cross between Ralph Bakshi's style and Looney Tunes and Disney. Yeah, it's well, he was the king of the rotoscope. I, I think that was part of his low-budget uh, films throughout his years where he would learn to just rotoscope all these. That's why they always had just a little bit of a different look. His films always looked different than, say, Disney's or whomever else was doing it at the time. I think Holly's look is most sort of linked to the characters in American Pop, sort of the way they move and look. Yeah, he loves his curves on the ladies. <laughs> yeah, and Hollywood, she is covered in them. <laughs> covered yeah. in curves. Well, I mean, she's clearly based off of Marilyn Monroe. Yeah, she's a Marilyn Monroe-Kim Basinger hybrid, because she's very much Kim Basinger as well, too. Yeah, she's got Kim Basinger's face while she's got Marilyn Monroe's curves. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's what they're going for here. And we were trying to figure out... So she has the ability to either pull Jack Deebs in through his dreams, or he can travel in his dreams to the cool world. I don't know if they've actually ever pinpointed that, but it really doesn't matter. We just keep going. Yeah, we, we know that he is drawing these characters from cool world, so then he gets pulled into the cool world when he's sleeping, but it's not so much a dream because it's really happening. He's really in the cool world because he will fall back into real world from it but like as he's waking up i'm doing air quotes waking up from the dream so it's really happening but it only happens when he sleeps that i could see how that could be very confusing for people who haven't seen the movie three four five times like i have <laughs> <laughs> you have seen it quite a bit but we just got done watching it so at least it's fresh in our mind now after he visits the noid which was jack deeb's we get brad pitt's character investigating and he goes, and we get our first interaction between Brad Pitt and Kim Basinger's character. It's a very tumultuous relationship they have together, but you could tell that Holly really wants to have sex with Frank because because he's human. I think it's just her desire to be human, and we find out about her very odd obsession with Las Vegas and her framed picture of a guy called Vegas Vinny, right? Vegas Vinny. And she just wants to be real because she wants to be like Vegas Vinny. Here's where things get a little muddy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because this this scene is just full. I mean, and this is just completely crazy animation coming at you. I, there's so many frames in this. And this is part of me not liking this film. Uh, it, it's just, I have to be honest, it's an ADD film. <laughs> it just, it's, it's crazy. There are... Just all kinds of wacko animations going everywhere, and it's very confusing. It hits all your sensories. Uh, I just could not focus while watching this film. Yeah, it's sort of sensory overload. It's sort of like the story, it's, it, this, it's almost as if the story was butchered, so they were like, throw as much at them as possible so they don't know how to react to the story that we're not really giving them. They're going out of their way to confuse the audience. I think so. Now, while I do agree with you 100% it's sensory overload, we disagree in that. I love that about this movie. I love sort of just everything in the background is summation of everything we've ever seen in the cartoon all happening at once in the background. Everybody's hitting each other with hammers. There's anvils falling from the sky. But this is like 
constantly. Like in this movie, yeah. it's not just one scene where like somebody's in the background hitting somebody. No, no, no. There's 25 of these things in the background, and they are all doing everything to each other that you've ever seen in a cartoon all at once. Yeah. <laughs> Bombs at each other, falling through the streets. It's just madness. I love it. Yeah, it's slapstick on mad. Yes, and it's almost it's almost as if they're saying this is the tune world. So this is this is everything you expect from cartoons. Let's just barf it on you. <laughs> and they do. They do a great <laughs> job of that. Uh, so after that, we get oh, we go back to the real world where we see Jack Deeb's interacting with the Vegas crowd. Uh, he's driving down, which now is probably the old strip. Uh, and he gets into a comic book shop, and we find out he's a big deal. Yeah, the Cool World is a comic book now that is selling off the shelves. They've even got a autographed copy of one of his. They they almost look like zines, but they're comic books. But I I, I kind of want to keep calling them magazines because of the way they look in the movie. But these comic books, and they've got a signed one that they've got like hung on the wall. They're selling it for 140 bucks, which is a weird number. And why I remember that, I don't know. But they were selling it for 140 bucks, and they were like, signed by Jack in prison on the sign. <laughs> and then while he's actually at the store, he's just giving away free signatures. <laughs> yeah, people, people, Once it's like once the register girl recognizes who he is, all the nerds come up to him from the, from the different aisles where they were picking out their comic books, and they're just having their books signed by him. <laughs> yeah, and, and she is jonesing for him, asking him to go out and everything, giving him, like, 20, 30 free comic books. Yeah. And then this nerd comes up and totally, I guess, cock blocks her in a way. Because it looked like Jack Deeves was like, no, you know, i got stuff to do. I can't do that. And he comes and he's like, hey, uh, why don't you do a book on, you know, how you killed that guy that was trying to bang your wife? <laughs> End scene. Yeah, that was, <laughs> that was pretty much it. So if you were wondering, oh, how did Gabriel Byrne get in and then out of prison? What happened? That's it. And I just want to mention, that's the only time it's mentioned yes. in the movie. That is it's, the last time. It is brought up once, and that is all. Yes. So, we know that he is now in Vegas. We see his neighbor, who comes back later in the movie, but I'm feeling like there is a whole chunk of establishment between him and this neighbor character that we miss at the beginning here, because we really don't get a lot with Gabriel Byrne in like the live-action reel. No, I, I mean, he... That's it. The interaction between him and his neighbor is he pulls up, goes inside the house, which we assume it was his house. We have no idea. And that's it. That's the interaction. Her yeah. looking at him from 300 feet away. Yeah, across the street. And then later, they all of a sudden know who each other are. She's reading a Cool World uh, comic book. And, yeah, they seem to have some sort of uh, rapport. Yeah, I mean, you kind of just jumped ahead there, but that's... Uh, doesn't really matter with this movie and half of it because you probably already forgotten we just watched it. Remember, he then falls asleep in his living room, which I bet that's where the cut was. Right. I, I bet she came over and visited him. They talked. He's like, well, I got to go. I'm really tired. You know, I just got out of prison. <laughs> <laughs> For and, killing a man. <laughs> and he falls asleep, and then he's pulled kind of permanently into Cool World by Hollywood. And then the chaotic real story starts. Yeah, and we find out once he gets pulled back into the real world that he didn't actually create Cool World. It's always existed. 
And we sort of know that through Brad Pitt's character, who's been there since the 40s. But that, again, is never addressed in the rest of the movie. So it's like, did he just come up with Cool World in prison? And, like, was he dreaming about it, having visions of a real place? Was it something he came up with that Brad Pitt just fell into and it's a time loop thing? Who knows? It's yeah, we never don't know. addressed again. <laughs> so that's when she basically, for the rest of the middle port of this portion of this film, she's just trying to get into his pants. Yes. And, and she's trying hard. She's trying hard to get into his pants. He is now in in the cool world for this whole second act of the movie. But this is like my favorite part of the movie. I really this we really get to see the world. We spend our an equal time with the Gabriel Byrne Hollywood story, the Jack and Holly story, and the Frank's as now a cool world detective story. We spend enough time with both of them and we see a lot of this world. So this is my favorite sort of chunk of the movie. What'd you think about the gang that Hollywood hangs out with? Oh, it's great. The, the little the little baby thing is just just a nightmare creation. It's on the cover, and I'm looking at it. It's got kind of like sad, sunken eyes, and a big mouth with one tooth, and like a saggy diaper, and it's this like sick, pale skin. I love it. It's like a nightmare creation. <laughs> well, yeah, and he has that nail that uh, comes out. Well, I guess all of his nails kind of come out as claws. They intimidate that bunny yeah. with it, and the bunny's like, I won! Like, yeah, get out of here, scram, bunny. Yeah, there we get a lot of cutaways from our main story to these little like side stories. I think this is the most Ralph Bakshi the movie is, where we get oh, these yeah. little side stories about like the gangs yeah, gambling in the streets. This really cool purple guy who th- we think would be like the villain who throws wooden nickels with teeth at the gang. Very like very very cool stuff in the cool world, uh, and. Like I said, this is probably the most Ralph Bakshi moment of the movie when the little bunny rabbit is playing with the gang and loses a bet and they threaten the bunny. But then the bunny later goes to the police and the bunny's more nuts than they are. It's just, it's great. I love I love this portion. Yeah, you know, I was the purple guy the owner of the club? I think so. Okay. He sort of has like a chair where he is sitting off to the side and people are sort of away from him, like a king chair type thing. So I'm assuming he's like the owner or manager, somebody really, really like hot shit in Cool World. I wonder if some of the animation of him was cut out because he seems like a character that is really underutilized. Yeah, and I, like I said, I thought he was going to be the villain in this movie. And every time I go back and rewatch it, I think he's in it more than he actually is. Yeah, the con- his concept is really cool, but he's just not used much. I would say screen time, he probably has four or five minutes. Yeah, and we keep calling him the purple guy. I don't know what his name is. No, I have no clue. He's dating Hollywood. We know that. Wow, I don't even remember that. We just watched it. Yes, he is dating her, and he's jealous because he knows that she wants to have sex with Frank, and Frank goes up to interrogate her about bringing... Gabriel Byrne into the cool world, which she's not allowed to do. Oh, man. You just blew my mind. I had no idea they were dating. I've seen this a few times. <laughs> <laughs> so, once that happens, uh, we get a murder at some point of Nails, which is 
Brad Pitt's partner, uh, which is a spider of some sort. He had six legs, right? Or he, he had four arms and two legs. Yeah, he had four arms, two legs, and he wears a little top hat. But I don't know what he's supposed to be. <laughs> no, he's just like his goofy sidekick. Yeah. And, and he he isn't he's murdered by Holly. She sucks him into the pen. Oh, that's right, because she gets Gabriel's pen. We actually might have skipped a scene. Was this after um, Holly and Jack got it on? No. This was this is still this they haven't gotten it on yet, but he she has brought this is so he falls asleep again on the couch and she brings him back into the cool world. So this is now his second time visiting, and uh, now he's learning the mechanics of the cool world, and we find out that his pen has power over the other tunes by Brad Pitt, who is telling Gabriel Brent, hey, get out, be careful. So we learn the pen has powers, she gets a hold of the pen, and then she can kill Nails. But they haven't boned yet. Alright, so after she kills Nails, then she gets all hot and goes and bangs Jack. Yes. Which is really funny, and I wouldn't say uncomfortable at all, but there is at some point probably some creepy anime porn person gets off on this. Yeah, it's it's like, I wouldn't say it's a graphic or explicit sex scene, but it is a sex scene. She is on him. Yeah, she's riding him. She's riding him. We see her cartoon ass peeking out underneath her, like, nighty. Like, it is, it is a sex scene. In this cartoon. I do. I do love the little gang that builds, you know, just a bunch of a junk pile all the way up this like skyscraper of a building to peek in. And so after they get done, it falls and they you get your little comic relief of like they're all smoking. Was it good for you? And then the other guy goes, wasn't what I expected. Yeah. And then and after that, we now see then the human Kim Basinger come through the animated Ali, and it's a really I I like the sort of flicker they do where it flickers between the animation and the human, and then it finally reveals. Then she lifts her arm, and it does the flicker too between the animation and the real. I really like that. And then we get it's Kim Basinger. Now there's three Noids in the animated world, which does look really cool. I really like the flicker. There's a lot of really cool things they do with the transformation between a human. And annoyed, I mean, sorry, uh, annoyed and a tune. But after she ends up morphing, she kind of walks around and gloats about it to her gang. And they're like, oh, no. And then she somehow, I kind of just spaced out and then boom, we're in the real world. Yeah, I think they just, now that she is real, she can go back with him. And I think that's all it is. I think that's all it took. Yeah, I think humans, it seems like they can leave. Anytime they want. Yeah, Brad. We know that Brad Pitt. By we do meet Brad Pitt's uh, doodle girlfriend somewhere in what we were just talking about. We meet her, and she mentions to him that he can go back anytime he wants, mm-hmm. and he is choosing not to. Oh, we haven't even mentioned Brad Pitt's little animation girlfriend, which is kind of what is it, Betty Page looking? Yeah, it's like Betty Page, or uh, I thought Veronica. From the Archie comic books, she's kind of got that look. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, all right. Yeah, I could see that. You sort of got the blonde and the the jet black hair thing, so I kind of got an Archie vibe from it. Uh, she seems to be more level headed, 
and she's very much in love with the Frank character. She's not as, I guess, just human sex obsessed as Holly is. Do you think this was supposed to be like, oh, blondes versus brunettes? Because at one time Hollywood says blondes have more fun. I think it's just sort of playing with that like 50s, like, do I pick the blonde or do I pick the brunette kind of thing. Like one's the hot girl and one's your future wife. But really, honestly, both of these cartoons were damn good looking. Oh, yeah. Like, real talk. If I was going to fuck a cartoon, <laughs> like just putting the cards on the table, if I was going to have sex with a cartoon, I would hope it would be one of the girls from this movie. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'll completely agree with that. <laughs> I've never been one to be into like the uh, hentai or animated porn or anything like that. But if I was going to have to fuck one, absolutely would pick from this movie. Yeah, okay. So, when did your obsession with anime porn start? Uh, as soon as I saw this movie in the early <laughs> 90s. <laughs> All right, so then we, we, travel, we travel to Vegas, and we get, you know, Hollywood is perfectly landing on the couch once they transfer over, and then... Uh, Jack Deebs slams <laughs> to the ground. I, I actually chuckled at that. That's chuckle number two for me. Yeah, it's funny. Every time he comes back into the real world, he, like, falls through something. He, like, falls into bed when he comes back in the prison before he gets out. He falls into his, like, animation desk the second time. And, yeah, the third time, he just lands on the floor in the middle of his house. Yeah, that's... <laughs> and she, of course, lands daintily and perfectly on the couch. Yeah, he... Uh... I mean, that was the opening of the video game uh, ad, too, is when he's falling straight into the cool world for the first time, and uh, they really used that as hardcore as they could in advertising that video game. Yeah, we gotta, after we talk about the movie, maybe before we talk about the behind the scenes, we should watch the trailer for this movie and see if that pops up again, too, in the advertising. Almost guaranteed it yeah. does. Yeah, we'll have to watch it. We'll, we'll talk about it in the behind the scenes then. But, uh, yeah, that, it's a cool shot. It's really cool that he's falling. Oh, no, I, I, I wonder if this entire movie was based upon <laughs> that fall. You're like, I've got a great idea. What if they fell into an animated world and they're like, ah! <laughs> like, oh, good Sold. idea. <laughs> Write that. <laughs> what happens after this? Because I remember they're just flying. Oh, you know what? I think they end up going to the strip and they walk into uh, a lounge singing place. Yes, so the first thing they do when they get back is he's taking her out on a night of the town. So they've boned, he's been lusting after her since he thinks he created her in prison. They've boned, they're, now she's real, so she, he's going to take her out. So they go to a cocktail lounge where Frank Sinatra Jr. is singing, and they, they go in and she is acting as if she, you know she's never seen people and very fish out of water like every one of these type of movies has those scenes. And then we get a musical performance. Ah, that's right. And you actually picked up on who the other musician was that she starts dancing and singing with. Yeah, the Frank Sinatra Jr. cameo in the movie. I, I thought it was him, but I'm more, I guess, used to seeing him now and like the PBS ads for his, or his shows that he used to do. I, I, I didn't know what he looked like in the 90s, but, so, but I was like, I think that's him. And we stayed for the credits, and yep, lo and behold, Frank Sinatra Jr. Yeah, and she's dry-humping him. 
Yeah, I think it was pretty easy to see why he would have signed up to do oh, this. Oh, yeah. Because Kim Basinger was hot at the time. And I don't just mean oh, looks. Oh. I mean popularity. Yeah, she popular was and good-looking. Yeah, she was the star. This was right after Batman. Like, she had blown up. She was A-lister. And she was incredibly good-looking. So, if I was Frank Sinatra Jr., I'd be like, yeah, yeah, she can grind all over me and sing her song about whatever she's singing about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> Her and Marilyn they, Monroe song. Yeah, and they kick out Jack Deves, too. I I thought that was funny. He's just like, hey, that's my girl! And they're like, not anymore, bitch. Yeah, they throw him out, and Gabriel Byrne goes to choke the guy who throws him out and somehow spreads the cartoon to the guy. The guy has, like, a cartoon cheek after he touches him. Yeah, this is when they both start having these flashes where they start to turn into cartoons that we've never seen before. Right, they're not they're not their animated counterparts. It's not Hollywood. It's um very like it almost looks like a rhino body or something and then like a like a like a clown type head that Holly turns I, into. It, yeah, it's and very weird. And the guy weird. is like a dopey uh, pinheaded looking dude that he turns into. Well, one with time big hands. At one time when they flashed, did it turn into, like, a sad clown? Yeah. Yeah, that's weird because Ralph Baskey's, Bakshi's um, later life after animation and everything, he paints a lot, and a lot of them are sad clowns. And I seem to be one of the very few people I know who will look at it and actually like it. And I asked one time, hey, Sarah, can I uh, get a print of this sad clown right here? No. So Fair mean- enough. See, so we don't have one to look at right now. <laughs> no, we don't. So I just wasted our time. We should edit that. <laughs> we get the flashes back and forth throughout for the next 10, 15 minutes. And they're weird how people interact with them because they seem so accepting of, eh. Yeah, people change into cartoons all the time. She, she starts flashing into this clown-ish rhino person in the club while she's singing the Marilyn Monroe song, and people in the crowd are a little freaked out, but not as freaked out as I think I would be if I saw someone morph into a cartoon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would... Well, did that just happen? I. <laughs> yeah, these people are taking it pretty well. They're freaking out, but they're, they're still they're taking fi- it pretty well. They're freaking out, but mostly fine. Mostly fine. They're not leaving. They're not running. No, they're there's no screaming. running. They're just like, oh, that's weird. <laughs> <laughs> On with my day. Yeah, they're just mildly put off by it. (laughs) Well, at this point, Brad Pitt's character has morphed back into the real world. Yes, and he he tells his girl goodbye. He's like, I have to go do this. And as he's about to jump back into the real world, he has a flash of the car crash again. Real emotional scene. And right in the center of kind of like a comedic moment between... uh, Holly and Jack and then we get this like emotional like Brad Pitt freaking out and he like screams in pain as he turns back into a human yeah and then well he immediately goes after Jack Deeps which I don't know how he knew where he lived yeah he just magically appears there (laughs) that's just magic cool world cop powers yeah so he gets there, he interacts with them, you know, he's pointing a gun at him, he's like, oh, what are you doing? You're trying to ruin the world. They fight. And that's when the neighbor comes back in with her other neighbor saying, like, I, I think I hear, oh, no, we missed the interaction when the two neighbors come over and actually meet Hollywood for the same time. And she's basically just also dry humping and canoodling with Jack. 
Yeah, I think we forgot that scene because nothing really is nothing really happens. This is this is prior to them going to the club. Nothing really happens there. She is just no, they just him. yeah, and they then, just wanted to show that she's horny. Yeah, and then that and then we then we cut into the cocktail scene, and then after after that scene, they're driving around together, and she kicks him in the face. Oh, that and is... she steals the car, and then. Frank goes after Gabriel Burns. So now Gabriel Burns alone, and she's got the car. She has stolen the car. That's right. I forgot. That kick in the face is a fantastic little clip. Yeah, and they use the cartoon sound effect when mm-hmm. when she makes impact with his face. It's really clever. Really smart little little bit in the movie. So once, and that's when Brad Pitt uh, finds out where his house is magically, shows up, points a gun at him. We get the neighbor again. And it, it's essentially all of them converge just to say, hey, we can take my mom's car. Okay, yeah. let's ride. Yeah, the the girl neighbor who we know nothing about other than we've seen that she knows now who Jack is and she has read a Cool World comic book. She goes, we can take my mom's car. Also, this woman looks 30. I don't know why she's still living with her mom, but that's neither here nor there. She, oh, yeah, she's, what, 30 Yeah, but I feel, I feel like they're having her play like a kid. Yes, yeah. She's acting very, like, childish. Mm-hmm. Uh, very confusing there. Well, she's naive and completely accepts this story, like, oh, there's a cool world? It's really real? Okay, yes. on board. So very, very childish. And so they take her mom's car to chase after Holly, who has stopped at the tallest building in Las Vegas, I, I'm assuming, because it has a point on the top, uh, which we'll get into what's at what's in the point. Uh, she stops at this tall building, and she's looking for Vegas Vinny when she gets there. And in a comedic fish-out-of-water scene, she's just asking everyone she sees at this hotel, where's Vegas Vinny? Yeah, and they finally kick her out of the casino, like, you can come back here, fine-looking lady, when you got some money. Yeah, and they kick her out, to which then she finds Vegas Vinny, who happens to be Whiskers. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I, again, this is one of the scenes I really liked, what they clearly have... I don't know, maybe a child or a little person covered in, you know, a, a, a oversized jacket. But that cracked me up. Yeah, and it, it, it almost does look like a, a child over uh, a small person because the movements are so childlike. Yeah. It's, and it's that, that ties it to the cartoon. That's how you almost know it's Whiskers when he shows up because the, the hand movements and the, the way he walks and sort of tumbles and walks in this giant coat. It's almost like a, like a little kid. Yeah, she beats him up, knocks him out of the coat, and then threatens him if he doesn't help to get the giant pin in the sign. Which threatens is at the top the of pin, the tall right? building. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah, the pin is in the top of the tall building. She threatens him and says, I need to get this pin, which, you know, we are 15 minutes left in the movie. We now know what the conflict is. She wants to get the pin to open a rift between the cool world and the real world so that they all blend into one. We didn't know that until like right now. <laughs> oh yeah. I remember asking you probably two or three times, what are we doing? <laughs> what is the conflict? Yeah. We don't really get it until the very end of the movie. So she's got to grab that to morph the two worlds. And then that would cause chaos. That's why Brad Pitt's trying to stop him the whole time. And I honestly, I'm, completely with you i did not understand that until 75 80 percent through this film yeah it, it almost seems like in the rest of the movie in like that really solid act two it just seems like brad pitt wants to stop uh tunes from fucking humans more because of his own 
dislike of the yeah his yeah. own dislike of the human world that he believes they should be kept separate. We don't know that there's like a real threat. Like if you grab the pin, which is the pin we see at the beginning of the movie that brings Brad Pitt into the cool world, that can bring total destruction. We don't know that. We don't know that until 15 minutes <clears throat> left in the movie. No, that whole thing I did not pick up on at all until really we just... We, so you know your film's not doing very good with the plot when two people have to sit down and almost map out what you're trying to do. Right, right. And it, I, I don't, as a fan of this movie, I don't fault the writing or the directing of the movie. This is probably something that happened with the meddling, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, we'll get into that later. And there was heavy meddling in this. So she ends up going to the top of the building. Uh, Brad Pitt fights her off. She just knocks Brad Pitt right off the building. He falls, somehow doesn't go splat, and there's blood everywhere. There's no blood. There, no, there is blood. There's blood by his head. Oh, there's is there? a lot of it by his head. Okay, I didn't pick but up on that. that. I was, was too busy strange. laughing. Yeah, he gets knocked off this building. He is dead. He is dead. Yeah. <laughs> there is no like, coming back from that. And there is a puddle of blood around his head. It's a mild reaction for people to like, oh, no. Anyway, okay. we got to yep. stop this tune. <laughs> <laughs> so she gets up there, finally grabs it, and then... The, the tunes start to morph into the real world, and it kind of gave me a Ghostbusters vibe. Yeah, I was going to say Ghostbusters or They Live, uh, like the when when they do the thing in the tower and they live, and you start to see the aliens with the people. This is like the cartoons and the people, and then yeah, Ghostbusters for sure. Yeah, so they end up fighting, and I'll be honest, just watch this. I don't remember what happens next, but Jack Deeb's character... Oh, yeah, this is when uh, Whiskers reminds us that, oh, he's got to fulfill his destiny of becoming a hero. Yeah, so his hands that we see morph into cartoons when he chokes the bouncer that throws him out of the club, he can use those animated hands to scale the building. So he stretches out his cartoon hands, he's still human, and gets up to the top of the building where... Holly is just like riding cartoon monsters <laughs> across the across the uh, skyline of Las Vegas. Uh, so she's flying across. She's having a good time. She's flipping back and forth between now Holly, not the mm-hmm. not the clown rhino, but the the Holly animated and the live action Kim Basinger. She's flipping in between those while riding these monsters. And he scales the building. He's like, Holly, you can't do this. Whatever. Give me the pin. Give me the pin. She just drops it. She lets go while she's flying on one of these things. So it's not very, not much of a fight there. And he grabs it. And what does he turn into? <laughs> he turns into what I can only describe is mostly powdered toast man, except without the toast head. And he turns into just this giant V-shaped superhero. I mean, the most comical looking Superman. Yes, and unlike... Kim Basinger still voicing Holly's character, but he gets the ridiculous, over-the-top superhero cartoon yeah. voice, man. Yeah, so, uh, here's my best attempt at it. like, Hello, Holly, I'm here to destroy you! Right, it's very over-enunciated and everything like that. Clearly not Gabriel Byrne, who is just, like, mumbling his way through the movie. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if they just didn't have him... He had to leave early, he didn't get to read those lines. They're like, I don't know, I'll just dub him over with someone else. Yeah, it was it, that was strange. Uh, we we quite, we didn't quite get an explanation of why they were changing into 
these weird clown things when they were human and just sort of morphing during the real world and why they turned back into their... Well, she turns back into her regular self when she touches the pin and he turns into this superhero when he touches the pin. Yeah, that's... That's not explained. That's actually Gabriel Byrne's last time on film is right when he's morphing. That's it. Yeah. He never comes back. He never comes back. Uh, He is the superhero guy for the rest of the movie. Yeah, so they end up fighting with her, defeating her, and then... They notice, like, they sit there and they're like, oh, man, I I don't remember. Does the sidekick comes back out of the pen, takes Brad Pitt back to Cool World, his girlfriend over there, she's like, oh, if a tune kills a Noid, the Noid turns into a tune. Right. So and that's, then, that's basically what happened. The only thing yeah. we missed was, well, Gabriel Byrne and... Kim Basinger are fighting, or the, the animated versions of them are fighting. She drops the pen that she killed Nails with, so when the pen falls on the ground, Nails comes out. Oh, yeah, so it comes breaks out and Nails comes it, out, yeah. Right, and so Whiskers and Nails are around Brad Pitt's dead body, and Nails is like, I gotta take him back for his girl. So he takes him back to the animated world, all the while Gabriel Byrne, superhero character, throws the pin back into the top of the building, and all the tunes get sucked back in, except for Nails and Whiskers and Brad Pitt, who go on their own. Yeah, and that's, and that's then, then we get back to Cool World. Brad Pitt turns into some kind of odd-looking uh, tune version of himself that has dead eyes. Yeah, he's got these dark blue, almost black pits for eyes <laughs> and but he's he's still in the zoot suit and he's still got the poofed hair and everything like that and he still looks cool but he's got these dead black blue eyes Very yeah strange. then it cuts to a heart and then you almost see nails come out and do the oh that's all folks and then we get a little comic strip frame of the jack being the superhero still and just making Holly's life miserable, yeah. where he's talking about where he's going to put their house together. Yeah. And credits. So I guess they're that's her hell, is they're together forever. Right. <laughs> she got what she wanted, yeah, she but she it. only wanted a human, and she, then she got that instead. <laughs> yeah, and then we roll credits, and we get the David Bowie song that was put in, and that song was called Real Cool World. Yeah, it's a pretty decent song. It's... It's definitely David Bowie. It has the 90s techno influence going on. Uh, another person that was on the soundtrack that we were surprised by was Moby. Is on yeah. the soundtrack. I didn't even know he was around in 92, to be honest. But that sort of early 90s techno influence is throughout the whole soundtrack. Well, here, I'll give you about a five-second clip of it because I don't want it to see it. says stick around after the film at the beginning like we mentioned so we do we wait till the credits roll very generic end credits too no no you know like in 90s movies when the credits would roll you'd get like little animation things on the sides of the credits nothing just boring ass end credits that go pretty fast they go throughout the David Bowie song and then we get an ad for an AIDS tape uh it's called Real Talk Right? Yeah, it's... Uh, time out. Time, time out. out. Not real talk. Time out. You know, people with AIDS and HIV aren't faceless strangers anymore. 
They are our family, friends, and partners. We have learned that this virus can affect anyone, especially teenagers. Do you know what AIDS and HIV are? Do you know how to get them? More importantly, do you know how to avoid getting them? If you don't know, get the video. It's called Time Out, the truth about HIV, AIDS, and you. Uh, and <laughs> so this, this is just a bunch of fantastic nostalgia here. We just get a, a plethora of 90s characters. We got first Magic Johnson. We got Arsenio Hall, which they seem to be the host of it, and it's just... Let everyone know about AIDS, and he says at one time, I'm living proof that you can live with it, and I remember Polly Shore was in it. Yeah, Luke Perry is in it. Who else do we see? Neil Patrick Harris, they show. Paul uh, Abdul, they show. Oh, Luke, yeah, Paul Abdul, yeah. She's in there, and it's it's basically, uh, it seems like a talking heads thing between celebrities warning you about AIDS and people who actually have AIDS talking about living with it and how they found out about it, how to protect yourself from it. So it's it's this ad for a PSA video that you can buy called Time Out, and we get these little clips from the tape. We need to find this tape. Oh, definitely. I would love to watch this. I don't know how long it is. I'm assuming 25 minutes. Actually, no, I'm looking at it right here on YouTube. It's 42 minutes. we got to find this thing. Yeah. we got to do it because I think it's going to be great, and it looks just so of its time. I'm talking the Dutch angles for everyone who was talking, the almost spray paint lettering for every every like oh, text the graphics? they put. Yeah. Yes. Very 90s. Well, the genie himself plays a condom. Yes. Sinbad. The man <laughs> is a condom in the movie, according to the credits, so I would love to see just that scene, at least. Yo, yo, hey, yo, hey, you, you and your woman. All right, walk on by. You be taking that test soon. Yo, check this out. We have got to talk. Man the condom. If you don't know by now, and I don't know why you wouldn't know, because it's in the papers, it's on TV, it's everywhere, this AIDS business is serious, and it's not going away. All right, well, now we'll go into all the things that we found out about this film. Number one, we had a budget of, can you guess? No, I have no idea. All right, is it over or under $15 million? Over. Yep, all right. We got a $30 million budget. Okay. I was actually, I was going to go even higher. I, if I was going to guess, I would have guessed like 50. I would have guessed this was like a Paramount's big movie, 92. Well, I believe it was because they actually put Hollywood's cutout on top of the Hollywood D. And it got protests. People were not happy about it. If you have the money to advertise that way, it, it this was a big project. So we had some interesting... Uh, calls with who was actually going to star in this. Now, Ralph Bakshi really wanted Brad Pitt. He would not budge on that. But do you know who he originally wanted to play Hollywood? Who? Drew Barrymore. Oh, just seeing the character and the writing? Yeah. I would have probably preferred that. No offense, Kim Basinger, but I think that would have made more sense for the type of movie this was. Yeah, I believe it came down to Frank Mancuso Jr. who really made that call. He wanted Kim Basinger... Ralph Bassey had to make the call here. He he stuck with his guns on Brad Pitt, but gave in on Kim Basinger. Uh, now, here's a different one. I, I just saw this before we started recording. He actually wanted someone else to play Jack Deebs. Let's see if I can give you a hint that won't give this away. He's the bad guy in Speed 2. <laughs> well, we haven't covered that one yet, so I don't know who that is. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to test your knowledge of trash. Um, um, I saw Speed 2 when it came out and haven't seen it since. 
definitely want to take it on. Here, he though. he plays a detective in a certain movie where two Irish kids shoot up bad guys. Are we talking about Mr. Willem Dafoe? We are. <laughs> <laughs> I Very nice. love William Dafoe's overacting. That was a firefight. But I, I think they actually made a good call. Going with Gabriel Burns. I think William Defoe would have been too much. Yeah, because yeah. he's just a guy who killed his wife's lover, went to prison, in his loneliness in prison, created, thought he created, this over-sexualized cartoon character to get him through his time, and then basically fucks his own cartoon. You don't want somebody who's bigger than that story. <laughs> Alright, so I, uh, I got into my unfiltered, the complete Ralph Bakshi. And I went through, and there's not much on Cool World. Uh, it was his last full motion picture. He did a TV movie that was live action. Did he? Well. Yeah, Cool and the Crazy with Jared oh, Leto. That's right, yeah. It's not bad. Um, it's pretty good. Yeah, we might. That would be fun to see. So his original idea for this was to make the first horror animated movie. He pretty much sold it to them as it's... Child's Play meets Tex Avery. And they loved it. They said, let's do it. You know, uh, we love the script you have so far. So here's some money. Go build the sets. So when they were building the sets, Frank Mancuso Jr. and Kim Basinger decided, you know what? We're just not going to do this movie. Let's write another script. So they did. And that's when all this turns to shit. Yeah, we've got we've got two. Do we have two? Yeah, two credited writers that aren't Ralph Bakshi here. It's Michael Gratis and Mark Victor, who I know nothing about, but I'm assuming hired guns brought in by Mancuso. Well, it was all done on the hush hush, um, and basically they told Ralph Bakshi, "Deal with it." Yeah, and one of the things that I remember reading a lot about was Kim Basinger really wanted to show this video to her kids in the hospital. Who are those kids? Are they sick? I don't know. But whatever her thought was on it, the final product, you still can't show kids in a hospital. No. Like, I saw this movie as a kid and loved it because of how sort of provocative it was. But watching it now as an adult, it just makes me question, who is this movie for? It's way too cartoony and zany for adults, but it's way too sexual for kids. And... It earns its PG-13 rating in the fact that, like, there's no overt nudity or anything like that or any uh, explicit language, but it's pretty frank sexually. Well, it pissed off Ralph Baschke so much that uh, I believe he got sued because he punched Frank Mancuso Jr. in the face. Oof. <laughs> yeah, so they, they really didn't disagree on this. And I, I would have really liked to see that. Apparently... Hollywood and Jack were supposed to have sex. The baby that they made was going to be the killer. And that's how Child's Play was supposed to be tied into it. Did not know that. That's crazy. Yeah, I know. It sounds good, right? Should have stuck with the original script. So there's some interesting quotes here from the storyboard artist Conrad Vernon. It was a fly-by-the-seats pants filmmaking. It's the only guerrilla animated film I've ever worked on. We never knew what we were drawing because no one ever gave us a script to read. <laughs> so I read, now this is actually in the book. I guess part of his revenge was he just showed up with the animators and said, fuck it, 
do what you want. Do whatever you think is cool. And I think it's apparent because the backgrounds and the action of the cartoons in the background of all the scenes, and sometimes in the foreground of the scenes, yeah. they come through the foreground sometimes, are really fun, though. They're really crazy. They're just weird. And when you actually know this about the film, it's definitely him giving Paramount the middle finger. What are we putting in the museum? So the thing I want to put in the museum are the wooden nickels with the teeth that our cool purple character throws at the gang. That I think that's the closest link to the horror movie we have. It's such a burned-in visual in my brain. So I'm putting the wooden nickels in the museum. I'm putting two things in. One, I'm putting in the lamest credits I've seen for an animation. <laughs> you got to think these things through. An, uh, an artifact of reminder. Not yes. so much something we want to keep because we love, but something to keep so no. we never make that mistake again. Yeah, it's like a blown up <laughs> gun in a museum when you're in the war section. You're like, oh, look what happens. Uh, and then the one thing I do love about this, and this is my Ralph Bakshi being the bad boy of animation, the middle finger to Frank Mancuso Jr. At one point in this film, when Hollywood and Brad Pitt are talking, they have an animation little clip go through where people were running through it and then it just stops yes and i they had to do that on purpose where it's fuck you right and i love it put it in the museum <laughs> that is ralph bakshi just oh being the bad boy i loved it so you're in the goodwill you're in the salvation army and you find it come across the tape of cool world should our listeners pick it up i think they should Everyone should see this movie one time. It is so different. Yes. I definitely recommend it. It's one of my childhood favorites. I might even say still it's one of my favorite movies of all time. I don't. I would never argue that it's one of the best movies of all time, but I could say favorite. I will use that word just because of how absolutely banana pants insane it is. It is not good, but it is different, and I give it, that I understand some people will argue that Roger Rabbit came out, so it's really not different. But I'm telling you what, this is nothing like Roger Rabbit. <laughs> yeah, I think anybody who's seen these two movies would never say it, put them in the same sentence. <laughs> and another thing I think could be also in what not to do in the museum is when you're crafting a film, you need to have a core audience to sell it to, and this has neither. It's too wacky for adults, and it is way too dark for children. Yes, and tonally, it has no decisions either, because we get ultra-dramatic and kind of fucked-up opening scene, wacky comedy, murder. It, it's all over the board. Matt, what'd you watch this week? This week, I went and saw Dark Tower. Oh, Stephen King. Yes. What did you think? I didn't hate it. I thought it was very generic as far as just sort of an adventure, action-adventure movie. Uh, it has some cool stuff in it, some t touches of Stephen King. I just want gentle touches of Stephen King. But overall, not as horribly bad as some people made it out to sound. I would, I would watch again. I probably don't need to own it or anything like that, but was, it was okay. Idris Elba, though, is incredible in the movie. He deserves his own story. He's given it a thousand percent. How good is the child actor in it? Uh, he's good, but he's clearly a European actor trying to do 
an American accent that comes and goes. So I watched Green Room. Uh, I had had this Blu-ray for a while, uh, probably a good three, four weeks. Wow, really liked it. That is a brutal movie, and that director now has, what, Monster Party and Blue Rune? Murder Party, yeah. Or what did I say? Monster? Uh, yeah. <laughs> did you like Green Room? I loved Green Room. I thought wow. it was great. I was a l- <laughs> It moves very fast, though. Yes. And at that, the pace sort of threw me the first time I saw it. And I'm, I'm not necessarily criticizing the movie for that. That's just my, that's me. I couldn't keep up with it. You know, I was slow to getting on its level. But once you're on its level, yeah, it, <laughs> it's very simple. It keeps it to the point. Here are your characters. Here's the situation. They're fucked. How do we get out of it? It's a very small film. Yes, contained. It's contained. And I can't believe I watched a Patrick Stewart movie where he's an evil Nazi. Yeah, it's a great performance he gives. It works in that small space and with the small amount of characters. Oh, and the death scenes and the gore. Brutal. Insane. It's almost like documentary style when they show a murder scene in the movie. Very real. Yeah, very, very off-putting, very, like, disgusting. Every time anything happens, or broken limbs, or slicing people open, things like that. Yeah, the box cutter. The box cutter death. That's that's always one of those that... I can't stand it when people slice. Think RoboCop 2, where they put him down on the bed and they're supposed to be scaring him, but then they just take the scalpel and cut him. Yeah. Any, anything with like that clinical precision, just the way sort of skin naturally pulls apart from itself is just, oof. it's, it's unnerving. It's yeah. But, uh, quite the time to mm-hmm. watch a Nazi yeah. movie, pick the right time. <laughs> was it oddly satisfying? Pretty much. <laughs> Cause not I was that, thinking about going and revisiting it too. <laughs> not that we're going to get into Charlottesville, but politics, <laughs> politics. I mean, Everybody agrees on politics. It's, uh, it's I'll on, cut that. Don't worry. <laughs> it's, it's on people's minds. So it's the time for it. Yeah. I won't have an opinion either. Any other way other than Nazis suck. Yeah. <laughs> the opinion that makes the most sense. <laughs> <laughs> That ends it for what we watched. What are we watching next week? We are watching Lady Hawk. Ooh, now that has... Ferris Bueller? Yeah, Ferris Bueller, that's what I'm thinking. It has Ferris Bueller and also has Hobo with a shotgun in it. Yes, and I'm very excited because I have never seen this movie. Well, get ready for shoddy Lord of the Rings. Beautiful, bring it on. Fellas... The women have gotten hip to y'all. I hear them talking in the aisles, and they're talking about you like dogs. You know what they're saying? No love without the club. And how you doing, little partner? Fine. And it's Little Visitor now. Adewayoli is how you say it in Cherokee. Oh, well, pardon my French, but uh, I'll be damned. <laughs> Walker told me I had AIDS. She told me, she told me, she said, if you want to get acquainted with me and my son, you'll have to take us to Disneyland. Ain't that a bitch. I went to pick up the next day. Here she got four more kids. I says, uh, who kids are them? She said, those are baby kids. She said, where the fuck is baby? Baby went downtown. So why did she take her kids with her? 
Oh, don't worry about it. Baby left $10 to help get him in dinner. Hey, that a bitch. If it's on video, Blockbuster probably has it. I mean, we have over 10,000 videos. Wow. I'll watch these fast and have them back tomorrow, I promise. Relax. At Blockbuster, you can keep your videos for three evenings, so take home plenty. And, and use our 24-hour quick drop. Do you have any children's videos? Sure. Blockbuster's America's family video store. You know, we have more kids' videos than any place else. More movies, more nights, more fun. Blockbuster Video. Wow.